the following podcast may contain strong language not suitable for all former state senators. Oh. I think we know what guy we're talking about. Cha-ching! <laughs> <laughs> Thank you for joining us on this episode of the Better Left Podcast. My name is Sarah Smith. I'll be your, one of your many hosts today. I am a former congressional candidate from Washington State's 9th District, and I'm here with Troy. Hi. Corn. Hello. And Bill. Hello. And we are going to get right into our what the shit. What the shit. What's going what on? Shit. So normally I would lead on this one, but we are going to, well, we're a remix. And uh, <laughs> <laughs> we are going to start with Corn. She's got something great for us to talk about today. Hey, Go for it. Yeah. So, and all of our what the shits are kind of going to be uh, themed around Pride Month and what's going on because there's a lot of what the shit moments. Um, so, something that we have been noticing a lot on Twitter, um, going to the stores, things like that, is um, Rainbow is the new marketing strategy. So corporations, they're really getting into the pride thing. And so we're just trying to decide, is that a good thing or is it not so great? I'm going to go out on a limb and I'm going to say, and pardon my strong language, fuck all those companies that donate to anti-LGBTQ legislators during the off season of pride and then turn around and market us up. They up market yep. like things like Bud Light 50 cents for pride because they slap some rainbows on it and then expect us to forget about the other 11 months of the year when they were busy donating to campaigns to fight back against people that were supporting LGBTQ rights. We do not forget. And just because you slap a rainbow on something does not make you an ally. Being an ally is a hell of a lot more than just putting a rainbow on your beer can. Agreed. Yeah, agreed too. And so here's a couple examples I pulled. Um, one is Target, which I pulled just because, you know, all of us shop at Target. Um, we're getting ready to go to Pride and stuff like that. People are going to be getting their, you know, $6.99 shirts and all that good stuff. We are white women from the suburbs. Yeah, exactly. And so, um, you know, on one hand, it's like it's really cool that that sort of stuff has become accessible and that they're embracing that. Um, but Target actually donated more money in 2018 to Republican congressional candidates than they did Democrats. Um, and that's what the problem is, is, you know, we we love that they're embracing uh, LGBTQ communities, but it doesn't match up with what they're doing behind the scenes. And that's not OK. I think that that's one of the issues with uh, capitalism in general. They are selling stuff. Now, here's where I struggle. Um, I, I'll tell you, up until just last week, I was very, very adamantly opposed and angry, so much so that I was shopping around the idea to some local candidates to set up a, here's where you can throw away your corporate brand pride garbage and we'll recycle it for you. Um, and and I still think that that's important because I, you know, uh, you get this, you know, it's the um, Bank of America pride, uh, like noise sticks, those yeah. bu the balloon thingies that you, like, what are they called? They, they slap them together. <laughs> it's a vuvuzela. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's a vuvuzela. A vu that's it, right? Vuvuzela. That's my favorite part of the woman, yes. Uh, <laughs> it is also my favorite part of a woman because I believe it doesn't exist. Hmm. As a part of that a is the clitoris and the G spot. Both of those <laughs> do not exist. Mysteries, uh, and they remain a mystery to me. Um, but uh, like I was reading the ocean. <laughs> <laughs> uh, a friend of mine, um, whom I shall call Mister Fantastic, he knows who he is. Uh, you know, this is a, a gentleman who is um, he he is anti corporate 
America. And he brought up a good point. He said, gay people are literally being stoned to death for existing in places around the world right now. Here in the U.S., we have a whole lot of people in positions of high authority uh, who are rabidly anti-LGBTQ+. And that includes Pence, who is like, do not fly a flag over the embassies in foreign countries. Um, and, you know, he said this is an example when you've got big corporations who are l acknowledging the existence of LGBTQ plus people, um, that's something. Um, but I'll also say that when it comes to, you know, your Bud Light and you go and you, you do the rainbow cans and you anger all of the people who are like, well, that's just not the beer. I'm about to get my beer. And I was, I literally said in a thread on an ad, I said, hey, that rainbow Bud Light was not part of the gay agenda. We did not agree to that. What? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I said, you know, we do not need, you know, our our beer, you know, poured down the, you know, rainbow chute into a unicorn's mouth where it is then, you know, kind of farted into our faces as a, you know, pride <laughs> delight. Like, we don't need that. Some of us just want our crappy beer in a crappy beer can. Mm -hmm. um, so don't blame us. Then I thought about it's inclusive. It's all of that. Then you start talking about the fact that these same companies are giving just as much, if not more, to causes that are not supportive of LGBTQ plus people. So it's challenging. Right. And another example, um, this isn't um, where the company is donating towards um, candidates necessarily, but they're actually speaking out against LGBTQ folks. Um, so Victoria's Secret, um, they just put out a statement. Um, We're proud to celebrate our LGBTQ associates and customers that make an impact in their communities. In inclusion is what makes us stronger. Um, they've been giving out like rainbow balloons and doing the whole pride thing. And that all sounds really great. Um, but at the top of the company, um, this, the chief marketing officer, so the same person who's probably doing all these pride initiatives and things like that, um, last year they said that they would never have trans people or um, plus size models in their shows because Victoria's Secret is meant to be a fantasy and according to them, trans folks, I guess, can't be someone's fantasy. Oh, so they don't have a, a room in the, in the fantasy of... So so they're saying basically, oh, uh, you know, we need to uh, make sure that we are inclusive and, and those folks make our community stronger, but don't be in our shows. Great. So only cisgendered, heterosexual, tall, very skinny, dangerously skinny, if you really want to get arguable about it, women, uh, cisgendered women can exist. And there is no fantasy that exists that defies European beauty, beauty standards. We talked a little bit about this on the last episode sure about did. Seth Rogen. Uh, European beauty standards are not all there is. Yeah. And you know what? I have very large thighs from playing soccer, riding horses, <laughs> doing heavy weightlifting. And you know what? I deserve representation. My plus size friends deserve representation. My trans friends deserve representation. And the reason why representation is important, especially in, during Pride, especially during this this point in our lives where visibility is so critical to the LGBTQ plus community is because I literally would never have known that some of these people were struggling the way that they were if it wasn't for representation and things like media. 
Yeah. And so last year um, for the Victoria's Secret show, it actually had the worst ratings ever and they canceled it and it's not going to be on TV this year. And that's the thing is we aren't fucking stupid. Like we see what you're doing. You're trying to profit off of us. You're trying to say, oh, LGBTQ or we embrace all women, blah, blah, blah. But you don't. And I think that's what the problem is, is we aren't saying you know, don't do these marketing initiatives, don't don't have rainbow gear and things like that. But your marketing and your products have to match your actions and your donations. Uh, do you care if I maybe walk a listener through <clears throat> how to research or think about this? Yeah, because, yeah, that'd be yeah. awesome. So I, did, I, I think what I did was so we're talking kind of federally, but you could do it on a state level, too, probably. But uh, we're, I looked federally so the Federal Elections Commission kind of controls things. So you go to FEC.gov. Uh, I think one of the tabs will let you drop down. You can select, you know, candidate or committee. Yep. I think I selected maybe committee. I think it was American Express, but you can double check me. Uh, and I think what you do when you search, I think two options came up. There was one on top, one on bottom. I think it was the one on bottom that was American Express. So once you click on that committee, then you get to the meat and potatoes. Then you get to see that. I think that they, they itemize things where it's like, um, you can see who's donated and then you can see the expenditures. So the expenditures is where you'd want to go. And I, I think I remember seeing them, uh, donating to like some Alabama Senator or Mississippi Senator. Like it was a, yeah, U.S. Senator on the Republican side. I, I then did a Google search just to kind of check to see kind of some of his positions. And I found some stories that appear to you know, suggested he uh, confl- uh, kind of conflicted with the LGBTQ mission. Great. Yeah. Yep. And this kind of all leads into uh, some stuff that we've been seeing in the news too, right? It's Pride Month, so we're really focusing on talking about LGBTQ rights for this um, this what the shit section. And I think that you know a lot of this representation stuff really bleeds into what Troy wants to bring onto the table. Yeah. For this. So th- this isn't going to be surprising to anybody who's um, who's listening that is an ally or is you know part of the LGBTQ plus community. Um, hate crimes, actually even beyond that, because we're talking hate crimes, people of color, we're talking about uh, religion, uh, crimes against people um, uh, with specific religions, up 400%. Wow. In Seattle. In Seattle. That's just Seattle. That's just yeah. us. And this is, we talk a lot about like how local issues affect federal. This is 400% in one city. And the misconception that Seattle or Washington State is so progressive and nothing goes wrong here and everything's just so blue and perfect, so far from the truth. And the thing about it, the largest clusters of the hate crime um, are happening in Capitol Hill, Mm -hmm. uh, which for the longest time was the neighborhood and the U District. Um, That is... You know, when you are somebody who is looking to hurt a particular group of people, well, you go to where those people are. And um, when you think uh, so, the part that bothered me the most about this, um, because sadly, I'm not surprised um, as somebody who, like many of my friends, uh, all like a lot of my gay friends, um, they, you know, we have faced a lot of you know people with varying degrees of, you know, whether it's workplace, you know, kind of casual sort of, you know, you'll call microaggressions, you know, like, oh, you, you know that because you're gay or I'm just going to, you know, uh, 
throw something at you as I'm driving by and scream, you know, faggot. And then I'm going to drive back around and I'm going to, you know, like those are things that happen or a person blocking you on a country road in the middle of the night and coming out of their car with a baseball bat because they know who you are because you went to high school with them and they're going to try to beat you up, but you're in a car. And so you threaten them by saying, I will run you over. And, you know, it's just not that that happened to me. Um, here I am you know, ready to go to my high school reunion, which is going to be weird. But I want to share this point. Uh, Herbold, um, uh, is it Lisa? Lisa Herbold, one of the city council members, um, said a couple great things and then said something that uh, really stunned me. Herbold said she'd like to see victims of hate crimes work with suspects in some sort of restorative justice program where they talk things out. She said su uh, suspects should also have access to some sort of diversion program that offers help. Uh -huh. Uh -huh. It made me so sick, um, uh. the notion that you would force somebody who was a victim of hate crime to sit down and talk to their attacker. Um, it shook me. So here's, here's the thing. It is not the victim's job to educate the suspect. It is not. And this expands even beyond just LGBTQ hate crimes. This extends to racism. This extends to white privilege. It is not marginalized communities' jobs to educate other people. It is white folks' jobs. It is cisgendered folks' jobs. It is the fo it is the job of folks who are full of hate that somebody else's life that has no impact on them, somebody else being born exactly who they are that has no impact on them, someone's gender identity, someone's bedroom identity has no impact on them. It is their job to educate themselves on what about it, the, what about that person they hate so much that they feel like they need to block them in on a country road with a baseball bat and threaten their life to feel better about themselves. You are it is your job to educate yourself about the things that that community is suffering that make you hate them so much. You know what? It is not the marginalized community's job to carry water for you. It is not. It is you know, it reminds me so just something that is important um and I think that the, the Seattle City Council is really working hard to dissect what this is about and they've worked with um uh a University of Washington sociologist to take a closer look at the numbers uh professor Tim Thomas 54% of all the hate crimes most frequently target victims race or ethnicity uh 32% of the crimes target sexual orientation so as bad as it is, it isn't the worst for people who are gay. But imagine LGBTQ plus people of color. Mm -hmm. Imagine trans people of color. Those are the people that are receiving the worst. And here's the thing. These are your friends. These are your kids. These are members of your family, people you work with. And it's not our job to help you. It's your job to help us. One of the greatest quotes I was ever given was whether it's seven feet of water or 20 feet of water, you're drowning. 
whether it's because of your skin color, your sexual orientation, it's suffering, it's hate, it's a hate crime. It doesn't matter. Just because one group has it differently doesn't mean that they have it better than another. Just because the percentage is lower of a, of a group of folks that already make up a nominal percentage. Listen, uh, black folks only make up about 17% of the population, but there's something like 28% of them experience incarceration rates. That's ridiculous. And it's the same here. Just because the LGBTQ population, quote unquote, only has to deal with 32%, but they only make up about 5% of the population or 15% of the population, some 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 numerical divider of five. That doesn't, it doesn't matter. Seven feet or 20 feet of water, we're all drowning. And I think that's what is really infuriating going back to the the rainbow marketing stuff is this this is what people are dealing with in their everyday lives, like their lives are at risk and it's been turned into a marketing strategy and that's just not okay. Well, and this kind of goes back to what Doug Baldwin said at, um, at Crosscut. It's just, it kind of goes towards building a type of complacency. Oh, so they get those images out there. Oh, so, so the, LG, the, the gays, they're, they're, they're equal, right? Not in the law. Not in the law. Yeah, but you can get a rainbow shirt at Target. So progress, right? Get your rainbow beer. So, right? so it, build, yeah. it builds this type of like this assumption over time within parts of the population. Like, oh, it's just this is just a new norm. This is just they're 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 like us. This is just normal now. I want to tell you, except this. it's just not enshrined in law. I want to tell you this. I have some very dear friends in the trans community. The norm for them is abuse not just by people driving by and screaming, but from their family and their workplaces and their landlords. I, oh, so sorry, just, uh, and, and that's gonna, this is gonna be a, this will be a question of, of this, this uh, you know, election cycle and, and years ahead is gonna, we're gonna have to answer, is America a compassionate place? And that kind of leads us to something a little bit that I want to talk about in our with the shit, because I know we've got some heavy stuff because it's pride. And like the reality is, is pride is a very heavy thing. Pride comes out of people that were in the I believe it started in the 70s who were defying this idea that they had to hide and they refused for one month. We look at the Stonewall, Stonewall riots, right? Yeah, yeah. It, yep. This is pride Who through the first shoe. Yeah. Exactly. This was about this is about that. And so we're talking about the heavy side of pride. But there's also a less heavy side of pride. There was Scott. Uh, I believe it was Scott Dittman in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. And this is something near and dear to my heart. He uh, just, you know, inanely threw on this shirt that said free dad hugs. And he just thought it would be <laughs> fun. He's like, I never thought of myself as a crazy ally. Like I just, you know, threw on a shirt that said free dad hugs and went to pride. And he found himself being this guy that was, it, he remembers seeing the look on the first girl's face about how lost she looked. And she looked at his shirt and she's like, can I hug you? And he's like, of course, it's, it's the shirt. <laughs> and she just fell into his arms. And like he recalls over and over again, these people, these these human beings who were so shunned and so pushed out of their families and so neglected by their families that they having a hug from a stranger who came across as fatherly to them was a comforting moment in the middle of a celebration of their sexuality and being so shunned and so forgotten and so left out by their families that this stranger in this shirt telling them I'm, I'm a dad and I want to give you a hug. That was such a powerful thing for them. And at first Scott talked about how it was really empowering and beautiful. And then he got home and he just got pissed off because how, what kind of person can look at their child and say, I don't love you because of who you choose to love, who you are born loving, who you are born to be, who you were born as. I don't love you because of that. Get out of my house. 
I want to read this piece, uh, just a, a little snippet if I can get through it. I don't think I can. Um, imagine that, parents. Imagine that your child feels so lost from you that they sink into the arms of a complete stranger and sob endlessly just because that stranger is wearing a shirt offering hugs from a dad. Think of the depths of their pain. Try to imagine how deep those cuts must be. Please don't be a child. Please don't be the parent of a child that has to shoulder that burden. I met way too many of them of all ages. And I am... Um... I'm going to do something crazy that I didn't warn you all about on this podcast. So I was 15 when I came out to my family as bi. And my mom, I'll re restate that, when I was 15 when I came out to my family as bi. Um, my mom told me I was not. I was just confused. And she bought me a book about female sexuality that I never read. And two days later, she and my older sister were making fun of me. Because I, th I thought I was, quote unquote, I thought I was bi. And I never came out again to anybody. And so I'm going to utilize this podcast to do something crazy. Um, this is, I'm redoing this whole thing. Um, I'm coming out very openly as a bisexual woman who has dated women in the past and who embraces that part of my personality to the point that my best friend, when I commented on it, was like, yeah, did, did everybody not already know that? <laughs> <laughs> but that was something that got taken from me. Yeah. And I was lucky. My family just dismissed it and gave me a book. They didn't kick me out of the house. They didn't hate me. They just never talked about it again. And the thing is, I want people to talk about it. So I'm taking this moment to come out again to people that are in my life that matter. But this guy showing up at Pride and giving people that second chance to like feel that warmth is just, it's beautiful and infuriating at the same time. Yeah. But this is what Pride Month is, right? Beautiful and infuriating at the same, Absolutely. at the same time. Yep. Absolutely. And this is going to be our very sad segue where I am so full of tears, but it's. A <laughs> but, uh, but I'm glad that you ended it on that note. And I want to say, you know, uh, you and I have talked about this in the past and, you know, you people do and they announce and they share where they are when they're ready to do that. And, you know, um, welcome. Uh, <laughs> Yay. I'm, Yay. I'm, you know, you were always part of my rainbow, um, <laughs> regardless. Um, but, uh, you know, you have in a really critical moment of my particular, uh, growth as a human allowed me just to be myself and the people that I've met from Jay, Bill, corn um and then a whole host of other people it just um it means a lot and it isn't it wasn't surprising for me to understand um where you were coming from you were ready to do your thing when you were ready to do your thing but you understood with empathy and care and concern and i saw that during the campaign i think about our uh, you know the questionnaire for the our friends um uh, who were giving you the kind of report card on how good are you with the gays <laughs> um but um yeah yeah uh while i'm not uh you know none of this should be surprising and shocking in this day and age um i do think our campaign was really about everybody yep it included everyone and i think that there are a lot of folks lgbtq plus that will look back on the experiences they had and know that you were a champion and still remain so. Um, whether or not you were out, you were there. 
I appreciate that. And I'm I'm excited. I'm part of the rainbow. It's so weird. <laughs> I've never thought of myself because this is the people in my life are fighting a much harder fight. And so I never wanted to capitalize on that. But I, I also realized like I do have a place in that fight and it you still matters. To, yeah, you you get to be you. You don't have to measure your, you know, struggle against other struggles. You get you. It, yeah. Feet or 20 and, feet of water, right? And, and let me just say it's, it's, it's often in this environment uh, and the environment leading up to today. It's very courageous. Yeah, yeah, it is. It is. And I think that's a good segue into our big news breakdown. So for our big news breakdown today, we are going to be, first of all, let's start with an RIP to uh, Miss Sarah Huckabee Sanders. Rip, rip Sarah. She has left us. She has departed the White House, at least. She's, Trump she's alive. She just, you know. Trump hugged a bee. <laughs> So the, the who's the next to spin the lies? Oh, I have no idea. Oh, oh, what's his name? Old Daniel. Uh, oh. what's his name? The dude for ten days. Oh, the mooch. Oh, the mooch. bring back the mooch. Can we start a petition to bring back the mooch? Yeah, he was fun. Uh, he was great. He was a delight. Yeah. I've uh, fueled by cocaine and like general rage. Literally. <laughs> yeah, but I mean, this kind of came out of nowhere, but also not because she hasn't done a press conference in over three months. Um, so obviously hasn't been willing to get out in front of everybody and take the criticism or tell the lies like she has been doing. Yeah. But that's important, right? Like not doing a press conference for 90 freaking days is a big deal. Uh, This is kind of the thing. This is the trend, right? For these old world, old party Democrats and and Republicans is they kind of avoid their constituents. And if you have been blessed enough to listen to our episode five, where we talk about or six, where we talk about uh, the, the resignation of state senator in Washington, Guy Palumbo, uh, yeah, homeboy blocked all of us <laughs> on did. Twitter. Woo! All because we dared to question everything he did. And like, <laughs> this is part of the problem. We solved his goddamn mystery. <laughs> this yep. is so funny. Because we dared question every single thing about <laughs> his work, he blocked us. How rude. Yeah. So, so rude. Cassidy, do you want to talk about Amazon guy or state senator guy? Oh, which, mm, which one? The distinction matters. Yeah. Wait, does Bill not know? <laughs> no, no. Are they doesn't. different? Or? Uh, it's the same let's guy. Let's get on the case. <laughs> let's get on the case. The same yeah. guy? Hey. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> wow. Yeah. So um, he actually blocked me before he blocked all y'all because I've been uh, tweeting at him night and day being like, hey, so you say you're a leader on climate change. So what you going to do with Amazon? And he's like, bye. (laughs) Um, And so once the... (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> Once the episode came out, um, you know, of course, I hopped on the Better Left Twitter because he, he hadn't blocked us on there yet. Um, tagged him in all the posts, as you do. <laughs> and um, yeah, he he blocked us. And he well, but first, I... he sent Troy a message first, correct? Yes, he did. He did. He sent a message and it said, um, <laughs> you should get your facts straight before you do a podcast. But then was immediately like that was on the Better Left uh, uh, Twitter account. Um and then I, how do you how do you straighten facts? I prefer mine a little jumbled and meshed. Well, so does he? Because yeah, he I I couldn't find any facts because they were all deleted. Right, and so he he deleted all of his tweets from uh, when he was senator. So yeah, we can't really confirm, um, for example, the tiny house stuff because he he got rid of all of it. Um, and so yeah. 
we we would love to get a comment from you, Guy, or Amazon, or Big Daddy Bezos, or any and everybody. Um, but when you block us, how are we supposed to confirm those facts with you? Well, I, and I wrote him and I said, hey, Guy, you mentioned uh, there were some facts that needed to be straightened out, but you blocked us before we could respond. Can you allow a block? Yep. He just blocked me. And so, I mean, I would love to hear what he thinks we got wrong, because whether it be charter schools, um, the capital gains tax, the tiny house stuff, um, being in support of HQ2 for Amazon, we have sources for all of that. So come at me, bro. Who's Look, news? Part of, part of this whole project is holding elected officials accountable. And you know what? I'm just going to say it. That is 90% of the job is taking the criticism as it comes to you. When you sign up to be an elected official, when you sign up to be a candidate to become an elected official, congratulations, every door in your personal house is blown open to criticism. And I am going to do something crazy, which is the second time on this podcast I've said that. Uh, I am going to just shout out to Tina Podlodowski, chair of the Washington State Democrats. And this is going to be weird. But you know what? For all that we criticize her and for all that she feels however she feels about it, she takes it. She doesn't block us. She lets us continue giving it to her. She takes it and she just runs with it. She hears it. Internalizes it. Internalizes (laughs) it deeply, but doesn't send us weird messages and block us. Right. Still gives us access. You know what? That is a really fair point because we've been mean not mean we've been critical Critical. we've been critical and fair but tina hasn't blocked us and she hasn't you know like she she engages um she's say what you will she is tough we just we just want you to love us we (laughs) we we just we just want to talk yeah. <laughs> Come on, guy. Come on, guy. But this is this is a part of the this is a part of the progressive movement that I have a lot of criticism about. And I think that this is important. So we all know I love me. I love me. My dem socks. Love me. My socialists. Love me. Everybody that is lefty and wonderful. I think we are fighting for all the right stuff. But that does not mean that we are without our pitfalls. And one of the things that we do is we shut out anybody who doesn't agree with us or violates one of our internalized purity moments. And I know this is not cool or popular to talk about. And I know as a former candidate and I know as a a diehard democratic socialist, this might not be quote unquote cool to talk about, but I think it's really important because what happens is when you take these people you don't agree with and you box them out and you say, don't pay them any attention, you are giving them a platform. You are giving them power they didn't have before. And so we kind of took this on ourselves. We, uh, the following piece is going to be our, our discussion piece. It's we sat down and had did an interview myself and our producer jay who i forgot to introduce jay is on the podcast hi jay uh, hi, hi jay, jay. Oh, hi. so jay and i <laughs> sat down and did an interview with ari hoffman who is running for seattle city council in district two he's a very controversial figure here in seattle um he just has a lot of uh complicated beliefs about the world but we got to sit down and straighten out a lot of them and ask him some more questions we walked away with more questions and answers but you know you can listen to that in the in the discussion piece and we got asked a couple times why we did that and the reason we did that is because hearing the other side out is important. And part of the problem is by boxing out that other side, we've given all these other right-wing media outlets a reason to come in and give him more airtime, a reason to come in and give him more press. But what they aren't doing is they're just talking about his quote-unquote oppression as a right candidate. What they're not talking about is what are his policies? What are his stances? What matters to the people in this district? What matters to Seattle? And 
we as progressives, we as leftists have the ability to talk policy. That's what we pride ourselves on, right? We pride ourselves on our ability to talk policy and talk about facts and talk about substance. So we brought him on to do exactly that. We asked him questions. No one has asked him. He asked for hard questions. We have it on tape. He asked for hard questions and we gave him what he thought were hard questions and what I thought were basic policy pieces. Absolutely. And I will stand by our decision to sit down with Ari because I refuse to take the hyperbolic Twitter nonsense from both sides. Criticizing a candidate who happens to be Jewish is not anti-Semitic. Are there things happening in this world that are, we just talked about hate crimes rising 400%. Absolutely. 100%. We are not about that. We are about sitting down and having a dialogue with people who would like to represent us. And Ari agreed. And he did say, ask me the tough questions. And wow, did you. And so whether you are a candidate, you're an elected official, um, you're just a human, um, get out of your echo chamber because because of Facebook, Twitter, all that stuff. So much of what we see, the news that we see, the opinions that we hear they're going to match with what we think. And, you know, that can be comforting to know that we have this community of people that agree with us. But you need to get some perspective sometimes yeah. and see what are others who are outside of my echo chamber saying and thinking. And that doesn't mean that you agree with what they're saying by listening to them, but it gives you that perspective and more knowledge so that you can fight for the issues that you care about even more effectively. I want to say also your uh uh, fighting on, uh, you know, the Columbia City Facebook page and the um, Beacon Hill Facebook page. And the, that's nonsense. Stop. Your your debates in um, what's that crappy neighborhood? Next door. Ugh. The app that tells you which one of your neighbors is racist. Ugh. Yeah. The worst. Uh, that's doing nothing. Get off the computer. Go to candidate forums. Write your congresspeople, write your local representatives, find out where, like, that's the action in the real world. If you think you're doing any good, like, share your opinions, share your thoughts, and then lead people to the real world action because you are wasting our time and you are hurting people and you are just spending currency that we just can't afford. Get real or get out of the way. Likes and retweets, follows, likes and shares, the, that is not the same as reaching people. So get off Twitter, get off Facebook, get off Instagram, go reach people. But that, getting out of our echo chamber, talking to someone we disagree with, that's why we chose to sit down with Ari Hoffman, because we are not doing the progressive movement any justice by pretending that other perspectives are not out there. So I'm going to close my face and then open it again to participate in the discussion <laughs> with Ari Hoffman. And Jay helped me out with this. So uh, coming up right now, we're gonna what we're going to do real quick is we're going to give you guys a taste of it. We're only going to give you about 20 minutes um, because we talk about some big stuff. We talk about things like gun control. We talk about things like climate change. These are national issues. And yes, we sit down with a local candidate, but these are national issues. And we want to put into perspective why it matters for us to, to have this interview with a local C Seattle city candidate, candidate. Why does it matter to someone in Kansas? We want you to know what you need to be talking about and what you can do on a local level because I we talk about every single part of why it matters on a local level and a national level. So coming up is our 20-minute snippet of our interview with Ari. The same day that this podcast comes out, we're going to be releasing the full hour and a half long interview. If you have more interest in what we talked about, please give the whole thing a listen. But right now, we think that this discussion is better left to Ari Hoffman. Ooh. 
All right, we are here with Seattle City Council District 2 candidate Ari Hoffman. Hi, Ari. How are you doing today? How's it going? Thanks for having me, guys. Of course. We're happy to have you. And I'm going to be interviewing Ari today with Jay, who normally does production, but I'm going to remember to introduce you, which I never remember to do on the podcast. I'm super excited to be here because you've let me out of the editing dungeon. And frankly, I'm really excited. And I'm really excited to get a chance to sit down and speak with you, Ari, today, because I know we share a lot of interests with regards to popular culture. So maybe we'll talk a little bit about that. We're definitely going to talk about your campaign, though. Oh, I was really hoping for the whole Back to the Future discussion about really when you go into timeline B from timeline A from, you know, 2015. How does that result in changes of time? How does it do that? I was really looking forward to that, man. Oh, there's still time. We can do that later tonight. Just making sure. Oh, yeah. I mean, we've got we've got time. I don't have anywhere to be except work tomorrow at 530 in the morning. Um, <laughs> so I guess we'll just start we'll kind of ease into it. I mean, so in just a couple brief sentences, two, three minutes, just what made you want to run for the seat? If the city council was doing their job, I wouldn't have to be doing this. In any city I've ever lived in, I never knew the names of any of my Seattle, or I'm sorry, not just Seattle, but any city council members, because it's not something I was interested in. Politics is something you more just listen to or watch the West Wing or watch Parks and Rec. It wasn't an interest of mine. But then when it started affecting me, it started affecting my community. It's something I started getting more active in. So last year, when we started having the problem out at the cemeteries, where the broken down RVs and the people in their tents started moving in next to the cemeteries and dealing drugs out of the cemeteries and running across out of the cemeteries. They caused about $300,000 worth of damage to the cemeteries in vandalism and desecration. And that number's still growing because we're still having the problem. That's when it started affecting my community and I got more involved and I opened my eyes to what was going on around me. And I said, there's got to be a better solution for this. And when I tried to get engaged with the politicians that were my representatives, they refused. They stood us up. They didn't want to be involved. And I said, there's got to be a better way for this. So one of the reasons I give out my business cards, as opposed to door hangers or anything else like that, is you can always get a hold of me. And now my email's suffering because of it. And my phone's suffering because of it. But at the same time, I want to be accessible like I never had access to the politicians that were supposed to represent me. I'll just start with kind of a, a more of a definition-based question. So in some places, you, you use the word equity. And then in other words, you use the word equality. When you use these words, what do they, what do they mean to you? And how do you plan to incorporate them into what you're going to do as a city councilman? I did not do well on my SAT. <laughs> I did not. And if you're going to you know, language police. I'm not saying you're playing the language police, but I'm just using it to illustrate an example. A lot of my campaign staff and especially my wife gets very mad about my grammar because sometimes I write these things and I don't prove freedom and send them out. So for me, I'd rather talk about equity where everybody's equal in what they get, the same treatment under the law, equal protection under the law. That's what it means to me. I don't understand equality, how it's thrown around for this and thrown around for that. I don't know what that means. I think equity is a better term. That's me personally. If you want to get into a language discussion about what this means for you, it sounds more like a Talmudic discussion. If we're going to get into wordsmithing and that kind of stuff. So for me, I'm just telling you my definition of equity is I look at you the same way you look at me, the same way you look at him, and we all have the same rights under the law. That's what I'm looking at. So I want to clarify one thing. The description you gave us is actually equality. Equality is when everybody receives an equal share. So how do you define the difference between equity and equality? Well, let me ask you this. Did what I just defined, is that closer to what you felt you meant? 
I think maybe. So like the fair tax, right? <laughs> the fair the tax one? is a really common example of this. Where yeah. We say if we just tax everybody at the same rate, 20%, let's say. I think that was... I have no perfect. problem with that. I'm fine with that, by the way. Yeah. So, so that, like if you said the flat tax, I think it is, as opposed to the fair tax, it's 10% or 20%. I think we're yeah. getting into semantics here, whatever it is. I have no problem with that whatsoever. I would love to stop doing paying my accountant and just say, I made this much per year. Can I just send in the check and be done with this? Because this is a nightmare and I file for an extension every year, which means I'm going to have to deal with my taxes right around the time the actual election's happening and that's going to be a nightmare. God have mercy on your soul. Exactly right. But is that like kind of the same idea you're going here? Everybody gets an equal share and it's what you do with that share that matters. I don't know if we're saying we're getting the same thing. I say we're all entitled to the same rights. Okay. Something like that. I'm not going to get into what the government has to give us because that's a whole different discussion. Yeah. And I, I agree with you there. I just want to understand kind of like your perspective here, right? So for me, I lean toward, I think there are times where equality is the thing that we need to go for, right? And there are times when equity is the thing that we need to go for. And equity is strictly when we're building in, for example, like a progressive taxation system like we have right now, that's an equitable system, or at least it's supposed to be, because it accounts for the conditions that the people are under, right? So the poor, for example, would pay less under that tax because 10% of that share is a much higher share for them than, say, somebody who is a billionaire, and that's the criticism that typically is levied against like a flat tax or a fair tax system. So does that make sense? Do you follow where I'm going? I understand on? what you're saying. I need to look at the numbers. I want to do all that stuff. You understand my opinion of how I feel on this, where I'm saying everybody should be equal under the law. That's what I'm looking for. And everybody's entitled to the same rights. Everybody gets the same rights. And I think the flat tax is a great idea. I would love to find a way where my property taxes have not doubled since I've moved to Seattle. That doesn't mean it's going to be the tax system you want. It's not, doesn't mean it's going to be that idea. But at the same time, I would love to find a way where everything's paid for and we're not getting priced out of the market. Because when we talk about housing affordability, why is nobody ever bringing up the fact that we voted for so many taxes on ourselves? People are getting taxed out of the market. If I wouldn't be able to buy my house that I own now, I, I wouldn't be able to buy it now, the house that I bought all those years ago. That's a huge problem. The Jewish community in Vancouver closed because PR is shutting down. It's not closed yet, but people cannot afford to move back. They can't afford to move near their parents. And we're having the same issue here. I had this dream of buying the whole block with all the millions of dollars I don't have. And I had this dream of everybody living on the block and all my kids living there and it'd be fantastic. It'd be wonderful. Just the same way, you know, we all move back and yeah, it's not going to happen right now. So that kind of ties into a, a good next question that we had for you. We're trying to get some of the general stuff out of the way and then we're going to get a little whittle it down get a little more difficult uh, I believe a conversation was had asking for some of the tougher questions that maybe bring you away from some stuff people know you for I gotta tell you I'm tired of having these softball questions at these forums so you guys want to hit me with whatever <laughs> just chuck them out chuck them out oh, we oh don't we will don't we? Uh, so I mean I guess that kind of brings us to, to something that I think is really important what as far as you as a person what do you think the role of government is wow that's interesting Let's let's break that down a little bit. Didn't ask for softball questions. No, that's a, that's a great question. And nobody's really ever put that one to me. I think the government should be a helpful force. It should be something that helps us. But these are our rules of law. That's how I view government. These are the rules we do. And government takes care of the roads, takes care of the police department, takes care of the bridges, takes care of that kind of stuff. That's what I want. But I don't want them telling me who I am. I don't want them bothering me with my rights. I want to make sure I have all the rights that the government guarantees me. I don't want them taking away any. I don't want them doing anything to me that affects my quality of life. Now, if I'm messing with somebody else's life and they're making the rules to stop that, I get that 100%. But I would say it's more of these are the guidelines to our society. This is how we do it. And these are the things that I think government should take care of. So basic necessities, that's pretty much how I view government. 
So do you think there are limitations to that? So I want to give you a couple examples. Free speech is a common one. Uh, there are some people who argue that we should limit speech. And for example, like hate speech or even speech that might incite to violence or people who are discussing like racism or those kind of things. Do you think we should limit free speech or do you, or here's another example, but the second one is like guns. You know, the second amendment does guarantee the right to bear arms and that's been upheld numerous times by the Supreme court. Do you support that kind of legislation? Like just kind of give me an idea. Do you support limitations on these rights? Where do you think we draw those lines? Let's do one at a time and remind me to come back to the gun thing. Okay. Cause I know you're going to bring up the NRA thing eventually. So let's come back to the gun thing in a second. First, let's do the free speech. There are tons of people who rip me online. And some of it I find extremely offensive. Some of it I find racist. Some of it I find anti-Semitic. I'm not calling for them to be shut down. I just want to make sure I'm protected if they're doing anything stupid. And one person in particular actually said people should show up and protest my events. As an observant Jew living in the world, I had to live with a synagogue where the FBI had to do a sting to catch some people who were planting bombs on our synagogue. That happened in my synagogue in New York. You always hear about synagogues being swastika and other things. I was, I had issues as a kid where some neo-Nazis chased me through some backyards one time. These things have happened to me and I'm used to it. It's something I knew was going to come up because of the campaign. Are they allowed to say what they want? A hundred percent. But my government has a responsibility to protect me if they're going to do anything stupid. Do I think the government should limit free speech? No, because if I say they should limit this person's speech, what's to stop them from limiting my speech? That's where I draw the line personally. You want to get into specific things of treason and hate. I'm not a legal bucky, as we say in my religion, to know where that goes, where that ends. This is just my opinion. Well, I just want to ask one follow-up question sure. to that, uh, which is simply this. So I'm with you all. And I read the I read that specific person's comments about coming to your rallies and those kind of things. And I understand kind of the concern around it. Where do you think we draw the line? So do you think that, for example, protests should be protected? at all times to think that there shouldn't be, there should be limitations to that. How do you feel about it? I did not like that Facebook banned Farrakhan. I didn't. I think that as reprehensible as what that man says is, he should be able to say what he wants because we have freedom of speech in this country. Now, if he's saying you should target so-and-so because there are so-and-so, then you have a different issue. If they're calling for outright violence, they're calling for outright threats, then you have a problem. They're calling for something against the government or a political officer or something like that, which can be seen as a threat, that I understand you have problems. But if somebody wants to say whatever crazy thing they want to say, look, I like when people rip me online. And that sounds weird because it just gives me more attention. And I don't think they figured that out yet. Maybe they will be by listening to the podcast. But every time they mention my name, I'm getting more donations, like the King County Young Democrats, when they said, do not vote for Ari Hoffman under any circumstances. I had a record donation day that day in 24 hours because of that kind of stuff. No, I think that's a good call out. Um, I will say this, and this is kind of my feeling on it. Uh, I think there are limitations to free speech, specifically when it's an incitement to violence. You know, on our campaign, we were very lax. Uh, we didn't worry too much about who came or anything like that. Not exactly the same thing. Um, clearly, there are different reasons, but Sarah identified openly as a socialist. And I don't know if you know this, but... A democratic socialist? Thank you very much. There is a difference, <laughs> and I will get into an ideological battle with you right now. Fair. Uh but that's not exactly a very popular perspective. And so for me, I think we need to be having these kind of like nice limitations on it to some extent. But I don't know. Facebook's a private entity. I'm cool with them limiting who they want to just because that's the nature of business. It's a business thing and they can do what they want. I'm not hating on Facebook, but I'm saying if the U.S. government wanted to censor Farrakhan or anything Fair. like that, I'd be against it. I agree with you 100% that 
violence, and that's what I was saying before, you have to stop that. You have to cut it dead in its tracks. A lot of times, what do we hear when some violent event happened? Oh, he was saying stuff like that for years. Well, why didn't anybody do anything? Why didn't anybody say anything? I agree with you 100%. I'm a big fan of see something, say something. I was in New York during 9-11. Not that that would have changed anything necessarily, but there's a lot of things that could have been avoided that were attacks that we've heard about, shootings that we've heard about where the person had a history of this stuff, and nobody's, oh, yeah, oh, we knew that was coming. Well, why didn't you say anything if you knew that? And I think, you know, I'm going to just bring it back because the request was made. So let's draw back to the to the guns thing, too. And I mean, I'm going to speak in light of the March for Our Lives, in light of the, the Virginia shootings, um, in light of a year that's shaping up to be a record for mass shootings. So should there be any limitations on the Second Amendment in order to help prevent the deaths of, of kids and students in schools? The only two guns I have are these two. <laughs> and I know that right. I know that a lot of people are criticizing me because I didn't interview with the NRA. And they see me as the pro-gun guy. I do not own guns. I have other ways of protecting my family that have had to get more extreme because of what's been going on recently, which is sad. No other candidate is spending the money on security like I am. I wish I didn't have to do that. You understand. You ran for office. You understand the difference between somebody who says something stupid and somebody who's actually a threat. And it's unfortunate. And you have to look into the character of the person to find out that kind of stuff. For me, as long as somebody who's coming after me is going to have these weapons legally or illegally, which is common, I want to make sure that my family is protected. I want to make sure that I can defend myself. I did go and get a concealed weapons permit when things were going bad at the cemetery because things were getting so bad out there. I stopped short of buying the weapons themselves because I have kids in the house. I don't have the right training to use them. I think that everybody should have the right training if they're going to own a weapon. That's my own personal thing. I don't think you should own one just, oh, I can go buy one, whatever. That's my personal thing. But at the same time, I think that in our synagogue, there are a lot of people who are the designated carriers. And you're not supposed to carry things like that on the Sabbath. They're considered muksa, which means you can't use them on the Sabbath. But there are people who are allowed to do that because they are protecting us. And what happened in Powoy in San Diego with the shooting a lot of lives were saved because the guy was carrying. So as long as the bad guys are going to have weapons, I want to make sure that the good guys have weapons in order to protect them. And when we had to do that out at the cemetery, that was a last-ditch effort because nobody was helping us out. And here's something interesting. When we brought Israeli soldiers to defend the cemetery because nobody was helping us out, for a month it was quiet because word got out. And actually, people were spreading rumors. They were there for one night for one night. And word got out, they were saying, there's Israeli snipers in the bushes. They were saying that. Reporters were hearing that. People were calling me, asking me if that was true. Somebody even called the police and said, Ari Hoffman is planning on going to the cemetery and shooting homeless people. It was awful. But for me, it was about protecting the graves of our ancestors, of our relatives, of the people who needed it done. And I want to make sure they were protected appropriately. The NRA, just one last thing, the reason I did the interview with them is because I want my message out to as many people as possible. I do not subscribe to their politics. I have nothing to do with their politics. I'm not a member. And what's interesting is people like Shiloh Jama from the People's Harm Reduction Alliance also did interviews with the NRA, I assume for the exact same reason, just like all the Democrat candidates are going on Fox News these days because they want their message out to as many people as possible. Yep. I uh, have one of my biggest clips was when I went on Fox News and answered questions appropriately about how we would pay for it with a plan about how to pay for it. Um, yeah, I mean, Jay, you look like you have something you want to say or ask. I, I just want to clarify one thing. So do you support restrictions on the Second Amendment or not? I don't know what restrictions, saying restrictions, I don't know what that means. And I'm not getting into the national politics. I'm not saying this is a dodge. I don't want to say something I don't understand as much. I'm not a gun owner. 
I don't understand all the different rules. Do I agree with background checks? 100%. Do I think that we should make sure that the right people are carrying them? Do I think you need safety courses before buying a firearm? 100%. Do I think that people with mental disorders should have firearms? No. Something interesting in Israel. Do you know that if you're getting divorced in Israel, they take away your gun? They take away your gun because they're worried you're going to do something stupid with it. Something like that, I am fine with. I am fine with that. So if you want to say, am I in favor of restrictions? Yes, I'm in favor of restrictions. Am I in favor of all the restrictions? No, it's not a black or white issue. There's a lot of gray area in there. So I think one of the things that, especially when talking in terms of race, uh, I was always taught to couch politics in terms of race. That was something that a, a campaign a staffer told me at one point that I suddenly changed my entire perspective on it. But I mean, there's we cannot deny that the kind of racism that exists for the Jewish community also deeply exists in the black community and also deeply exists in the immigrant community as well. And I mean, I, for one, I'm, I love Seattle's position as a sanctuary city. Um, but I mean, there's also this particular issue, especially in D2, it's specific to District 2, where the black community is largely opposed to the youth jail that's being built in, in Rainier Beach. So I wanted to get your perspective on it. What is your perspective as a, a resident in District 2, just a resident in District 2 of of the youth jail? And what would you do about whether or not you support it or don't support it as a sitting council member? I think we have a different problem when it comes to the youth jail, which we need to talk about. Where have we failed an education that got a kid to be headed towards a youth jail? I think we need to discuss that first. For me, my parents went through a pretty bad divorce. Look at how honest I'm getting with you guys. They went through a pretty bad divorce. And there were some really rough times for me growing up as a kid where I could have gone down a bad path, but I was very lucky that I had certain mentors in my life that looked out for me. I don't think we have enough of that in the schools. I think we're too busy making sure they ace the SATs or whatever it is, or keeping them off drugs or whatever else the case may be that we've forgotten that they're people and they're not just products. I think we need to address that at the education level before we even get to the jail level. Now you get into a kid who has these problems. What do you do with a kid with those problems? Is it something that they need diversion? When I went to visit the courts to learn about the system failure document, I went to check that out and I went to observe a bunch of courts. There was a scared teenager there who had done something very, very stupid. It was his first offense. And the judge said, okay, you're on probation for this amount of time and I want you to go to this kind of counseling and that kind of thing. He could have put him in jail for a year. Could have done it. It was Judge McKenna, by the way. Could have put him in jail for a year. He didn't. And he gave him this diversion thing. But then you have these guys who have 72 convictions and they keep getting diverted and they keep being sent out back out onto the street. Do we want kids in a jail? No. How do they end up there? What gets them there? How can we solve that before we even have that problem? I know it sounds like a dodge. Are you in favor of the youth jail? Are you not in favor of the youth jail? I don't know what kind of kids we're dealing with. I don't know what their offenses are. I'd rather say, how do we stop kids from going down a path of crime? How do we stop kids from going that way? Can we address that? Then we won't need the youth jail. And that may sound like a pie in the sky ideal, but that's where I want to be. I want to focus on how we can make our education system better. And as a city council member, there's only so much you can really do with the education system. But how can we make it better so we don't have to build a youth jail? That's what I want to look into. Sure. And I totally agree. And I think that that's really a conversation that we need to have at the macro level. But the reality for the people living in Rainier Beach is whether we want to talk about what got the kids to this point point or not, that youth jail is being built. That money is there for it. So how do you how do you stand on it as a sitting council member with it being a factual thing that's going to be built? It is going to be there whether we want it to be there or not. Whether Whoever we're dealing with, that youth jail is going up. I want to see who's going to the youth jail. I want to look into that before, before you before you choose to support it or not support 100%. it. hundred percent. I want to know who's who's it designed for. Who youth. is this jail designed for? I want to know who's going there. Youth. No, I understand Kids. youth, but what did they do? 
No, I mean, think this is the... No, 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 because I worked with teenagers for years. I worked with teenagers so for years. Right. So then you and I understand the same thing. You catch a kid smoking pot one time. You catch a kid doing drugs one time where they... Was it peer pressure? Was it this? Was it that? Did they deserve jail? Did they deserve to be lenient? Was it a family issue? Was it this? There's so many different factors when it comes to kids. Who are they planning on putting in the youth jail? I mean, I think we can answer that question. Young black men are disproportionately jailed at a rate that is almost eight times as high as their white counterparts. What did they do? You're missing my point. You're, I'm hearing your point. I'm hearing your point 100%. I'm saying, what are the offenses we're talking about? Are we talking about murder? Are we talking about low-level vandalism? What are we talking about? Well, the, the statistic that I gave you is specifically saying that they're doing the same things white kids are. I don't think it should be, as we get back to the equality discussion, I don't think it should be rules different from one person than the other. Right. So I want to come back to a section on your policy platform for a second here. And this is one that stood out to me pretty heavily. You have a section on there on justice reform. And the only thing that I could find on there was about maintaining the current probation system, the current funding for it. That's the only policy that's on there. But the name itself is justice reform. But your policy platform doesn't have any reform in it. Because I haven't finished writing it yet. So what would you have? <laughs> there's, a, there's a whole long list that we're working on right now because what happened was as we were working on all this stuff, the website is a work in progress. We're actually redoing certain. There's no environmental section on there either. That's something we haven't gotten into because that's something I'm still doing my research on. But with the justice reform, when we were starting to dig into that section, that's when the system failure document came out. And I wanted to find out what reforms were in place. But at the same time we were writing that thing, that's when they were discussing defunding and probation services and all these judges were opposed to it. And I spoke to the judges about why they're opposed to it and why they want it and that kind of stuff. And that's the kind of thing that I was concerned about happening. So that was written in the moment. 100% that was written in the moment. That section is incomplete. And I need to finish doing my research so we can add to that section. All right. So I'm going to push you a little bit harder. Be my guest. You've been doing research for a while then. Mm -hmm. You've got to have at least one platform piece you'd add to it that you can commit to right now with me. What is it? That we enforce the law. That we enforce the law. That may not be justice reform the way you're looking for it. I'm talking about law overall. The fact that if I park somewhere for two hours, I get a parking ticket, but an RV can park in front of my cemetery and deal drugs and be there for 72 hours desecrating the property, that's not equality. That's not equality. I want to make sure we're enforcing the laws. I want to make sure we're doing that. I want to make sure that we're not diverting guys with 72 convictions back onto the street. I want to find out why that is going wrong. I want to find out why when we have those level of offenders, we're turning jails into homeless shelters when there are certain people who belong in jail. And I want to figure out why those people keep being sent back onto the streets. And it's these 100 prolific offenders. They're just a group of a bunch of them that are terrorizing businesses and homeowners. Who belongs in jail? People who who commit these crimes over and over, who are a danger to society. And I guess that brings me to a, a question. You are, it's a little less intense, less local. This is, I like relating back to national politics, as everyone will attest. Um, I mean, there's a lot of things we're very big on in Seattle. But this is particularly one that's at the forefront because we've got kids from coast to coast fighting for this. This is, it's, it's a hugely national issue, but at the same time, it's also a hyper-local issue. And I actually think this is one of the reasons why this is so important. It's so interesting to see the dynamic in uh, local politics and national politics and how they actually play together. Um, do you believe in climate change and would you support legislation to fight it? I was so excited for this comment to come 
talking about, for this question to come up. Let me ask you guys a question first. I'm going to answer your question with a question. How's your sarcasm meter growing up on the East Coast? So good. And I am so dry, some people can't even tell sometimes. <laughs> and I think that's what happened. Now, let me explain this the long way to explain this to everybody. Of course, I think climate change is a problem, but I'm not a scientist, so I don't know all the details. I've never delved into it. Something I would love to pursue, and I'm still reading up on it, I know it's controversial, is just like in Back to the Future 2, you know that technology exists. Waste to energy. That exists, and I would love to find a way to bring that to Seattle, to bring a waste to energy plant, just like a giant Mr. Fusion, to Seattle if it's practical, and if it's carbon neutral, or if it saves emissions, any of that kind of stuff. I would love to be the person who's sponsoring something like that. Let's just get that right there. Now with the sarcasm stuff, I knew that when I brought guns held by former Israeli soldiers who are Jewish to a cemetery to solve a problem that the Seattle City Council wasn't going to solve, I would get a reaction. And I got one like that. So I said, hey, let's ride this train and see how far I can take it. Because I really oppose the soda tax. I really, really, really oppose the soda tax because I love Coca-Cola and I love Pepsi and I was really upset and I just wasn't going to pay for that. Wasn't going to do it. So I said, I wonder if I tag them in the climate change stuff. Will that get a reaction? Unfortunately, it got a reaction a year later, and they decided to make this whole big deal over it. And when she called me for that interview, I was laughing the entire interview, not at the climate change stuff, but at the absurdity of questioning my comments. Did you really put your car into park and rev the engine at every single traffic? No, of course I didn't. But I'm like, are you seriously asking? Is this really what you want to talk about? And that's why I tagged the mayor and every city council member in all those posts. In fact, if you look at those posts, you see the Millennium Falcon because I was making jokes about being a smuggler, doing the Kessel Run in 12 parsecs, and I was making Dukes of Hazard references. I was doing all of it to get a reaction. I want to be a good steward of the environment. But what I don't understand is why nobody wants to talk about the local issue of how much waste is going into the Puget Sound, how much waste is going into Lake Washington, how the meth content of Lake Washington and the opioid content of Lake Washington, we're seeing it in the muscles in the Puget Sound. How come nobody wants to talk about it? How come nobody wants to talk about when they clear one of these homeless encampments that the topsoil has to be taken out if you want to do something right, that the plastic needles are everywhere, but we're batting plastic straws. If we're going to be consistent on this, then let's be consistent on this. I want to make sure that we're being consistent and actually being good stewards of the environment. So do you believe the, which is pretty much a consensus at this point, in fact, they've passed the Sigma requirement for definitive evidence that climate change is real. Do you believe that the climate is changing? Do you think that's a crisis that we're experiencing right now? It snowed three feet in Seattle this year. I believe the climate is changing. I don't know enough science to say it's changing because of this, it's changing because of that. I don't know enough, I haven't studied enough, and I'm man enough to say, sorry for you know saying it that way, to say I don't know, I don't understand, I need to do my homework. So much of this campaign has been me trying to do my homework. This is not something I ever fully researched, but for me, it's more I wanna deal with the problem that's in front of me, and then we can get into the big, bigger issues. I would love to see every fleet in the Seattle City fleet, every single car in the fleet, be a hybrid vehicle or be an electric vehicle or something like that. I would love to see all that kind of stuff. If you want to buy me a Tesla today, I will get rid of my charger and I will drive the Tesla. And actually, I said that to the stranger reporter. I said, is a stranger going to buy me a Tesla? My truck, the one that has made all this news and is so interesting, my Chevy Silverado is actually, I bought that one because it's got an eco function on it and it shuts down the engine 
to four cylinders instead of eight cylinders when it's not using them. It actually shuts down at red lights. I bought that car specifically instead of the diesel. Because I said, I don't need the diesel as, you know, as mannish as it would make me feel. I don't need it. I can do the hybrid one and be good for the environment. Actually, that thing is more fuel efficient than my charger. Well, thank you so much for taking the time out of uh, out of your Monday night to come and sit with us and talk with us. And th- on this podcast, at least, we believe this conversation about uh, Seattle politics and District 2 is better left to Ari Hoffman. Thank you guys for having me. I really appreciate it. Thank Thanks, you. Ari. All right. So if you want to catch the rest of the Ari Hoffman interview, that is going to be posted immediately after we post this episode. They're both going to come out simultaneously. If you're local and want to know more, or if you're just curious, or you thought we did kind of a good job and just want to want to hear the rest of the interview, dive in because we've got the full hour and a half long interview with Ari Hoffman being posted right now. And if you think we did a bad job and you want us to fix it, let us know. We yeah. are open to criticism. At Better Left Cast on Twitter. Find us. Uh, but right now, we're going to dive into, this has been a heavy episode. I think we could use a pretty solid palate cleanser, don't yeah. you think? Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah, me too. So we're kind of just going to dive in, like, what is something, everyone does this whole self-care thing. I think we kind of make it really broad and really small, it can be whatever it wants. What's a little thing that brings you joy? Whether it's media, whether it's Twitter, whether it's just a video you're watching or a book you're reading, what's the thing that brings you joy? So I will, I will start us off. I've been listening to, so I, I tend to step away from the internet occasionally. It, but, but why? <laughs> I know, whenever would I do that? It, uh, it occasionally gives me great stress and anxiety. Um, this is part, I've talked about this on our first episode. One of the pieces of fallout you get as a candidate is you get this anxiety mechanism in your brain that triggers every time you see the news. So I've been uh, listening to audiobooks while I take my dog on four-mile runs. And I've been listening to uh, Circe. It is a beautiful book that's a retelling of the classical legend of Circe, who is the witch that Odysseus encountered on his odyssey to get back to Ithaca. And it is a beautiful and amazing book. I'm only like, it's a 15 hour audiobook, and I'm only like, I've got nine hours left. So I'm not good at math. <laughs> Do math on that. But that's a thing that I've been doing. And when I'm not doing that, I'm definitely marathoning the show Good Girls because Christina Hendricks is my girl crush right now. She is beautiful. Christina Hendricks is one of my favorites. But when we first talked about doing something from media, like what's the thing that you're watching to get your head out of politics? Well, I've been watching The Handmaid's Tale. That doesn't really count. No. (laughs) (laughs) That is no. Yeah, no. But then I remembered I found uh, via Twitter, which, by the way, I've been using Twitter a bit more ever since we went to court over the issue. (laughs) And, uh, and I won. I'm, yes, you you <laughs> won by having to follow me. Uh, thank you, Judge. Is that a win? Or? I won. <laughs> uh, thank you, Judge John Hodgman. Um, but I found um, Allie um, at A L T D O L Y at Alt Dolly, and she does this. Basically, it is taking reality TV and she is creating the ASMR version of these women who are. Really, they're they're going toe to toe. They're they're ready to fight, and but she has a different twist on it. She calls it her ASMR version. Now I'm going to play it. Um, you got to see the video because it made like I laughed so hard. I probably lost about eighty percent of my moisture and tears. Um, you know, and it's been warm in Seattle, <laughs> so not good. So yesterday. Oh yeah, too much. Um, but anyway, here goes. Did you just sit here and say that my daughter? No, I never said that. Yes, you most certainly did. I didn't, Nick Bat. Listen, 
I said, Brooke, is your mother yes, your finger you out of my face? Girls, help yeah, you when you uh, bench. Stop it. No, Get no, off of me. I'm that woman sitting there thinking this is totally unnecessary. I have to tell you, <laughs> you you gotta check it out because it's this is the, the dance mom. Plus that the woman who what's her name? The dance mom. Abby Lee. Oh, Abby Lee. She's awful. Yeah. She's so mean to yeah. little kids. Yeah. But they do uh, the Kardashians. Uh, Jersey Shore. Jersey Shore. Uh, uh, I love Flav New York. Or yeah, Flavor Flav. Yeah. 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 Uh, it's so good. You got to check it out. And listen, my friend, um, don't stop because she was like, I'm going to stop. I promise I won't do any more. And I'm like, if you don't do you like if you don't do more i i will cancel my twitter so for me the the thing that has brought me joy um you know as sarah gets anxiety from the internet and troy gets anxiety from hands made tale um what keeps me up at night is <laughs> wondering about the lion king live action uh remake yeah um i i'm real scared uh, given the Aladdin movie that just came out, we talked about that last weekend or last week. Um, but the only thing that's really bringing me joy and and just hope in this life um, is that Beyonce is going to be in the movie. Bitch. And and so um, all I can hope for is what Todrick Hall just posted on Twitter. Um, he basically said, "You're not going to make the Lion King about Beyonce and then me." And he posts this, so check it out. I love to love you, baby. This is what the internet does. It's incredible. It's it's endless. So if um if the Lion King live action remake doesn't feature these Beyonce Lion King hybrid songs, um I'm gonna be real disappointed. But this is what's bringing me joy and gratitude in my life right now. So thank you, Todrick and Beyonce. Of course. Can I thank you for really inducting me into the? Bayhive. Yes. Is it a Bayhive? Yes. Yeah. yeah. That yeah. was one weekend. Yeah. We're so in. yeah. So for weeks and weeks, I was telling all of them, you need to watch uh, Baychella on on Netflix. Um, they were like, eh, whatever. I don't really listen to Beyonce. Whatever. I made them watch it on my birthday. Like that was my gift to myself on my birthday was bringing all of my friends into the Beehive. Um, oh, it's sh- not Bayhive. I, uh, I don't know. It's like bees. Like bzz. oh, Beehive. Yeah. I meant. Bay, Bay, B, yeah, whatever. Yeah. Anyways, but we're we're, we're, we're all part of it. Yeah, she she's the queen of of our um our our cult. Is that what it is? Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 Uh, Surprise! The, the, You're all inducted. The better the better left cast um led by Queen B. Better left cult. Yeah, exactly. But um, yeah, if you haven't watched that uh, documentary yet, she fucking rocks. She is the performer of our generation. And she owns every minute of it. And she's using her platform to talk about historically black colleges and universities. And instead of just, oh, I'm going to put my flower crown on and be cute and, and Coachella, she used her platform really fucking well um so let's do that with lion king too come on and then uh that leads us to you billiam well i just got a little story so i you know i love music listen to a lot of lot of it a lot of different kinds of it uh just it's been fun to watch this uh uh old town road uh by lil nas x kind of like work its way through the media this year because i I listened to it when it like first came out because it i i you know, I'm always on Apple, like I'm just always on music uh, services in general. 
and uh, I heard him like, shit, this is a this is a good little country song. It's mm-hmm. like you know I haven't li- I don't listen to too much country anymore you know now, but I do d- dabble every now and then. And then uh, turns out that the country music like billboards or whatever didn't want to classify it as country. Yep. Well, then it turns out that Billy Ray Cyrus had the same reaction I had, which was. Sounds like country to me, because you know he and Garth Brooks had to deal with a bunch of that stuff back in the nineties. Like they're not country, because everybody like mm-hmm. Waylon's country, Willie Nelson's country. So you, every era, every genre, you've always got like yeah. So I follow that shit. Yeah, <laughs> it was yeah. great. I had not heard the song. You introduced it to me, mm-hmm. um, and I'm still wondering why he's taking his horse to the hotel room. Um, <laughs> he, he explained that on Twitter. I think AOC tweeted it out. Uh, he he did explain the oh, lyrics. Oh yeah, <laughs> he well. So he's Let me like, see if I can find it. Yeah, he. Uh, one of the things I enjoy about Lil Nas X is he's like the ultimate troll on Twitter, well, and so yeah. he tweeted basically it was something like, when I said I was taking my horses back to the Old Town Road, I was talking about you know fixing our climate or, or like something that just <laughs> was made so no sense, but it was so good, and I really enjoy him because yeah, he's just like making fun of himself. And he knows that, you know, it's kind of a, a silly song and all that, but we love it. Can I can I go ahead and just read the tweet? Yeah, let's hear it's, it. It's, yeah. Okay. He said, when I said I got the horses in the back, it was in reference to reversing the ongoing climate change, water pollution, and catastrophic political climate <laughs> we are witnessing in these trying times. Shout out to this motherfucker. Yeah. Sorry. Yeah. I got to. This Love this guy. We, uh, this is when we all uh, find out that he's really running Microville's Twitter. <laughs> oh, <laughs> makes sense. Yeah. So that's kind of what uh, what we're all doing to purge our minds a little bit. But uh, So that about wraps up our episode for this round with our great interview with Ari Hoffman talking about pride. And this is where we kind of tell you all to get involved. I mean, get involved with your local LGBTQ plus um allyship foundations we have the lgbtq allyship fund uh, out in front is out here yep um everywhere you are there's going to be different folks that are out there doing great stuff so look for local lgbtqa groups that are going to be helpful and going to help do actual work in the community to help fight against the stigma of the lgbtq community and sometimes the most important thing you can do is just listen and be there and be kind because you don't know how much that person may just need simple human kindness Agreed. And also maybe a homework assignment for y'all. Um, look into the places that you're buying your pride gear. Uh, look into Open Secrets or the website. Bill, what did you say the website is you uh, use? F-E-C.go. Yeah. Um, look into the companies that are, are making the products and doing the marketing. And if you find any what the shit examples, send them to us. We'd love to see them and love to post them. Yeah. Yep. Tweet at us. Let us know. Uh, and then I'm going to make the same ask I do all the time. Get involved on a local level, y'all. Right now, we got Justice Democrats, my home turf, whom I love, launched uh, Jessica Cisneros as their first candidate in Texas 28 against Henry Kuehler. Mm -hmm. Uh, Go support her campaign if you can. Go support Justice Dems. They're my home turf. as She's a fellow former candidate in arms. Super excited to have her on the slate. But this has been uh, one of our great episodes i think we talked about a lot about pride month and so get involved don't forget love people let each other love each other do whatever you gotta do be whoever you gotta be but thank you so much for joining us on the better left podcast and this this time it's better left to pride month yay yeah peace thank you we did it we did it gays (laughs) i should just let it go i used to think if i couldn't make dreams come true 
Distraction. Dreams can change out of. 